0: Hey, I'm Valentina. I'm the founder of Day. And for me, FemTech is something that everyone should be really actively engaged with because it's a really important area of overall human health. And it very much needs more love on behalf of everybody.
1: Welcome to FemTech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interview Valentina Melanova, the CEO and founder of Day. Day is an incredible company. I have been following it for years. It's based out of the UK. They sell CBD-infused organic tampons wrapped in sustainable packaging, including a bio-based sugar cane applicator. The tampons are sold direct to consumer uh, through a monthly kit that can be personalized for the number of tampons and if you want ones with or without CBD infusion. They also launched a probiotics product called uh, probiotics for vaginal health. I love this company, not only because of the incredible products that they've launched, but they have awesome content too. They have real talk about women's bodies, including is your vagina smelly or is that normal period poop? Is that a real thing? And how can periods affect your sleep? I would highly recommend subscribing to their newsletter to get this content. We also have a special offer for our listeners If you're in Europe, then use promo code NEWBIE, N-E-W-B-I-E, for five euros off your order. That's newbie at yourday.com, day is spelled D-A-Y-E. If you're in the U.S., then go to yourday.com and then sign up to be on their waiting list. They are launching in the U.S. soon, and you'll be the first to find out. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Valentina, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Brittany, thanks for having me.
1: I am very excited to have you on. I have been subscribed to your newsletter for probably the longest of any other femtech startup, honestly. Thank you. That's very kind. Um, Not only do I love your newsletter because it's like great branding and it's a great product, but you always have literally the most interesting articles. Like why is my poop weird during my period or like things that I'm like, yeah, yeah. Why is it? Thank you. Thank you for writing this article. Like no one else, I have never read it before. So you make like really
0: common questions accessible. That's the entire point of our female host content library vitals which you can find on our website and I guess now's the time for a shout out to one of our team members Liv Cassano uh she is the editor of vitals and she's the person who sends out all of the newsletters that you love um she's incredible
1: <laughs> such Mad a- love to her don't lose her she's amazing
0: <laughs> no no voice um to be part of the female hot conversation and You know, the conversations that we have in the office would just seem so strange to any outside party. Like, you know, 15 minutes pass by and someone's like, "Hmm, my period blood today is a funky color. Does anyone know why? Oh, let's write an article about that. Or, you know, vaginal discharge. What are all of the different forms and shapes and sense of vaginal discharge? Let's write an article about that. So that's very much, you know, pioneered by Liv from our team.
1: I love it. That's the kind of team I like to work on. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you know, our listeners love to learn more about our guests, especially like their background. Where are you from? What did you study? Did you have a career
0: before this? And like, how did you end up in this? Thank you for asking. Uh, so I'm from Bulgaria. I was born in Bulgaria. And um, I went to receive my bachelor's and my master's in the UK. So that's how I first moved to London. I Unfortunately, don't have a background in anything related to biology or medicine or STEM. I really wish I did. would have been really helpful for what I'm doing right now. Um, I studied law and economics, which actually was really helpful because it gave me this like, systems thinking, which I could apply to various layers of the company. And I had a career before I started the company, um, started off in think tanks and policy work then transitioned into journalism, and then from journalism went into um, early stage startups through to Accelerators, Techstars and Founders Factory, and that's when I was first introduced to the world of entrepreneurship and really loved the innovation that would come out of it, the autonomy that you had in you know creating your own culture, your own products, and just trying things a different way, breaking dogmas.
1: I love it. So you felt like it was your tribe. You met other founders and you were like, you're my people. Do you feel like that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, there's few other industries in which you can have so much freedom of thought. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone's constantly questioning everything. People are very curious and I'm naturally drawn to environments like this. So I really love discovering the world of entrepreneurship. Yeah
1: especially if you're like a journalist, right? Like you're questioning things. You're like, what's the real story here? What's going on? So yeah, I can totally see that. For me, it was, uh, my background is in science. I'm wearing my stem a sweatshirt today, right? So I'm a geneticist. So, like, yeah, my education was based on like ask questions, ask questions, run a pilot experiment, you know, do an MVP, get feedback, throw your thoughts out the window because turns out they were crap. The data says actually, like, this is the right way. So, uh, I really think it's interesting all the different routes people can take to get into entrepreneurship. Like, you don't need an MBA to be an entrepreneur. You could literally be a doctor, scientist, journalist college dropout, like anything, essentially, um, did you notice any femtech companies? And and did you think like that was something you wanted to get into right away? Or
0: how did you get into it? Not really. So when I first had the idea for the company, that was early 2017. And femtech wasn't such a big thing yet, it was about to become. Um, I guess emotionally, when I first started the company was when I had my first experience with female halt, which was when I was nine. I had my first period super early, mm-hmm. which meant that my parents hadn't had the chance to speak to me about how my body was going to change. Yep. Um, I had absolutely no clue what was happening because I had no, you know, like cultural oh, or anything like that. So I thought, you know, this just like randomly happens to me at these like random time periods and it's super painful there's like weird fluids coming out of me what do I do so I kept it a secret for about a year I didn't feel comfortable sharing it with anyone I thought that I was being punished by the gods I want to
1: hug nine-year-old Valentina
0: I want to hold her <laughs> I also had a really really painful period and the only thing that helped me was to just soak in my parents' bathtub uh-huh. and I would miss whole days of school because I couldn't physically bring myself to go to go to school um, so that's when I first you know emotionally started realizing okay there's something quite wrong in the way that we talk about female health in the way that we experience it and then later on in 2017 I was doing some research into industrial hemp uh, as a plant which has a really interesting history um, it's very under-researched because unfortunately we made it illegal at the same time as marijuana uh which meant that um even though the plant contains really low levels of thc and it cannot get you high um we completely neglected discovering so many of its interesting properties but turns out that where i'm from bulgaria um northern bulgaria in particular had a really big history of growing and exporting industrial hemp and there was actually even a research institute of industrial hemp in the 30s and 40s (laughs) That's how I was able to discover information about the properties of the plant because it was studied before it was made illegal. And two of the properties of the plant really stuck with me. The first one being that the fibers of it are really absorbent and very environmentally sustainable. So you don't need artificial irrigation, pesticides, herbicides to grow industrial hemp. It's a really environmentally friendly plant. And the extract from the plant has the potential to be pain relieving um, as is seen in various different clinical trials. So that's, um, that's how I had the idea for our first core product, the pain relieving tampon. And as I embarked on a journey of trying to actually manufacture it, I realized how incredibly monopolized tampon manufacturing, but also, you know, female health innovation is. Mm -hmm. Um, You have these large players which very much dominate the space and, their incentives are not always aligned with the interests of the consumer. Um, So that's when they evolved from a tampon company to a female health company that has this bigger agenda. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, I have a bunch of questions. That is an amazing story. Um, (laughs) The first one is you said you can extract certain compounds from the hemp that are pain relieving. Is that CBD that you're
0: referring to? Yeah, so we use a combination. We have our own formulation and it includes CBA, CBG, CBD, and CBN. Um, Cannabinoids have a tendency of working better when they're together. There's something called the entourage effect. Um, So we don't just use pure CBD. We use all of these even cannabinoids together, but it's important to know that we don't have even a trace amount of THC because we want to be able to offer the product to people who may have various sensitivities or objections to THC.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure also it like legality wise, it makes it kind of easier if you don't have THC in there at
0: all. You don't have a class two drug. Yeah. It's yeah.
1: <laughs> and um, you said that when you were getting into like the manufacturing of it, supply chain management, I can imagine that you found that things were monopolized. I understand that from like a 30,000 foot view. Could you give us like an example of what you mean by that? Um, Like, what did you experience? What happened?
0: Yeah. I mean, if you look at tampons, you have one really large European manufacturer that manufactures the tampons for every organic brand, non-organic brand. They're all made on the same machines using the same materials. So there's very little opportunities for product innovation. And that's a principle that is widely replicated across the whole female health industry. So what is applicable to tampons is also applicable to contraception, is also applicable to vaginal health screening. You know, in contraception, for example, you have two really large name uh, pharmaceutical companies who have, you know, developed the majority of contraception that we use today. And again, the incentives of large corporates are not always aligned with the interests of the consumer
1: mm-hmm and um <laughs> I don't ever see these big monopolizing you know companies saying hey we're going to decrease your pain I see a lot of like no leaking I see a lot of like um mostly that or like oh you can exercise in it um and you know and what that makes me think of is like the worst thing that could ever happen to you is that anyone finds out you're on your period and that's what we prioritize, right? Is like helping you not expose your periodness or making them smaller, right? Like you can hide it even better, feel shamed. <laughs> we're monetizing your shame. Whereas you are taking more of a like, we're gonna show up in your inbox and talk about period poop and what color your discharge is and this, right? Like super upfront. And vulnerable and then also you're prioritizing the the pain part right the the cannabinoid as you said entourage cannabinoids of you know helping relieve the pain did you have to do like clinical trials to prove that it did do
0: that can you tell me what that you know roadmap looked like we did yeah we had to do preclinical, clinical and human trials um to ensure not only that the product works but also that it's safe and that it's safe for long-term use so We looked at everything from whether it causes irritation to whether it has an impact on fertility, uh, on, you know, toxicity, um, uh, your vaginal microbiome as well. So does it change pH levels? Does it change your levels of lactobacilli? Um, And we we did a really comprehensive uh, clinical validation to ensure that the products that we're putting out there are safe and effective.
1: Yeah. And I'm assuming since they're on the market, it proved to be effective and, and pain reducing and safe.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the results from our human trials on efficacy show that the tampon is on par with traditional painkillers in terms of reducing the volume of pain, but with a quicker onset. So if you typically have to wait 40 to 45 minutes for a painkiller to work, the tampon tends to work in 15 to 20 minutes.
1: So cool. And, um, Was it easy for you to find a lab to collaborate with? Because as a femtech leader, expert, networker, I get asked by a lot of founders that have ideas. um, Hey, I need to do a trial where's a lab I can go to and I'm like where are the vagina labs like and also do they have the bandwidth to let all these other people in who want to test all this stuff in vaginas which I think is amazing Um, and I would love to just start a big fat vulva institute where we have all the vaginas and the models and all the things but in the meantime what was your experience like was it hard or easy to find this partner?
0: Yeah, it, it was pretty challenging, um, especially because for clinical trials, you typically have to pay up front. You, you know, you can't just pay monthly. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time when I was first starting the company, I didn't have any outside funding. So I had to use my salary as a subsidy as well as, you know, a number of credit cards. So I was really fortunate to find a clinical trial facility, which was open to letting me fund the trial In monthly installments on my credit card (laughs) um which was great you know and like we're forever grateful for how they've supported us um but yeah it's it's hard to find researchers who feel comfortable with um menstruation and who consider period pain a significant enough issue uh, Mm -hmm. so that it's worth solving because Um, you mentioned at the start, you know, a lot of these large tampon brands do not really offer any solutions for period pain. Well, interestingly, in the 1950s, Procter and Gamble were actually looking at creating a pain relieving tampon, but they discontinued it because they thought the market wouldn't be big enough. And then another interesting uh, kind of trivia fact is when Viagra was, you know, Viagra was intended to be a heart medication, but then they realized it has a side effect of giving people boners. Um, another side effect of Viagra is that um, it reduces period cramps. Uh, so what? the National for Health in the U.S. was presented with you know, two research proposals. The first one was, could Viagra support painful menstruation? The second one was, could Viagra support erectile dysfunction? And they decided to fund the erectile dysfunction trials. Even though erectile dysfunction affects only 19% of men, whereas period pains affect 90% of women. Holy
1: crap! All right, so I'm just going to reiterate what you just dropped on us: that they saw two side and two main side effects of Viagra. One was getting an erection in men, and one was period pain reduction in women. One of them needed to get funded. And they went with the erection one, even though 19%, 19 of men are affected by it, whereas 90%, 9, percent of women are affected by period pain. Yeah. Wow. You know, I don't know why I get surprised. Why do I get surprised? You know?
0: <laughs> oh, you know? You, you um, have to, even if you look at um, ibuprofen prescription guidelines, um, wait, do you have that? I think it's Advil in the US. Uh, uh-huh um so the initial formulation was only tested on the male physiology because it was only until it was only in 1993 that the FDA made it illegal to not include women in your clinical trials until then it was the norm because scientists believed that the menstrual cycle would pollute the data um, of their study mm-hmm. um So all of the medications that went out on the market before 1993 were actually not, tested on the female physiology. And one of these medications is, you know, the common painkiller. So the dose of 250 milligrams, which is the standard dose of a painkiller, was developed based on what works for the male physiology. And for decades, we've known anecdotally that women speak of, you know, taking a whole pill pack of painkillers during their period to deal with the pain. Turns out for us to experience the effects of the common painkiller, we need a much higher dose, 800 milligrams, so the National Health Service in the UK only a year ago changed its prescription guidelines to increase the dose of painkillers for for women.
1: Oh my gosh. We've just I mean so one of the things you said earlier was that when you're trying to find a, a doctor a clinical trial to work with in terms of like getting your your tampons tested one of the issues, it sounds like you ran into was having doctors that actually believed that that was a problem worth or needing solving. Can you tell me like, okay, whatever, like men with capital deciding what gets funded, corporations, monetization, like government stuff, but doctors, like physicians are supposed to be like the one people that are still advocating for uteri, right? Like, so tell me about your experience with the physicians, not
0: believing the pain was real. And I'll caveat that by saying that there are some phenomenal researchers who do really care about female health and are are doing some, you know, really phenomenal work. And we love them too. Yes. (laughs) The majority of people that I met along the way in the tampon industry, in the clinical research industry. Could you just not understand why a tampon needed to be pain relieving when there's painkillers on the market. Like I got that question so many times, clinicians, <laughs> like anyone under the sun. It's like, why would you make this if you know you can buy painkillers at every pharmacy? I'm like, mm-hmm. Because they don't work in the same way, and you're not supposed to take painkillers every month for five days a month. Like the actual leaflet within the painkillers packaging says you shouldn't there are significant consequences to your gut microbiome your um stomach lining etc um so yeah unfortunately i think physicians you know they, they love solving these like grand super complicated challenges like you know uterine cancer or ovarian cancer or like other big complications but things like you know finding the right contraception or getting an HPV screen or, you know, period pain, they're considered minutiae, you know, these like general elements of the female health experience a women should just put up with, and there's no reason to innovate on them or improve them. I mean, look at the speculum. This, the, the speculum is a device that is used to open the vaginal canal during labor to help the baby pass through the vaginal canal. It has literally not changed in design. Since it was first invented.
1: Which is like almost a hundred years ago at least, I think. Two
0: hundred? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was 200. used in Britain really early on.
1: Oh my gosh, insane, insane, insane. And so, you know, so there are doctors that care. And so you go through these clinical trials, um, you, wow, you get these great results. You're funding it via your credit card, go you, that is the hustle factor, you know? Um, after that, like, I want to know about, like, did you eventually fundraise? And then what, you know, you went to market, like, are women buying these
0: like crazy or how's that going? Yeah, um, so I started fundraising in the summer of 2018 and, um, in autumn, 2018, we had a round closed. It was just me and the company then. So my first job was to put together a team, um, start building the brand, start putting manufacturing together, you know, organize our entire supply chain. When I first fundraised in 2018, it was me, a patent application, some early clinical trial results, and some exclusivity agreements in our supply chain, and this big idea for what the company could be. Um, so it was really hard in the in the early days because um, I don't have you know many years of professional experience. I've um, not managed big teams, um, not managed big projects. So I had to learn everything from scratch, and it was a very steep learning curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and where we are right now. So far, so we launched in March 2020 in the United Kingdom, and we've had over 35,000 people use the product. Um, We're currently available in eight European countries, China, Hong Kong, and then next year uh, we hope to be able to launch in the US as well. We're currently building our wait list in the US, working on our factory setup, working on our FDA approval. We've submitted all of our documentation to the FDA. Yeah, that's where we are today. Oh my God. I'm so proud of you. I'm just like this little email subscriber. That's like, oh my gosh, like
1: fangirling, first of all, because like I said, I've been reading your blogs for a long time and then like to hear about your success is just so heartwarming. Um, For the FDA in the
0: United States, do you have to redo your clinical trial? Um, No, The, the clinical trials that we did in Europe or in FDA regulated clinical trial facilities, um, that's Girl, it. That's awesome. That's good. Yeah, um, we are considering doing clinical trial in the US as well. Um, we think the FDA has a preference towards US based clinical data. So we think that might help. Um, so we are considering that.
1: Yeah, Woo. you are like amazing. What are some of the future? Um, are, are there other product lines
0: or are other offerings that day is going to offer? Yeah, I mean, the, the Naked tampon that we have uh, is the most absorbent organic tampon on the market. Uh, it's also significantly more sustainable than other tampons that are out there. The applicator is made of sugarcane, uh, which is renewable and bio-based. The uh, wrapper is water-soluble, so you can just flush it down the toilet after you finish changing your tampon. Um, and the design of the tampon is different as well. So we have a feature called the protective sleeve, which covers a tampon, and it ensures that there is no fiber loss from inserting and removing um, the tampon vaginally, which is an issue that many people have not heard about at all, but it's actually significantly more prevalent than toxic shock syndrome. Um, basically, every tampon sheds fiber because of a design flaw, and when you use multiple tampons during your menstrual cycle, that fiber builds up, and it slowly becomes a perfect breeding ground for bacteria. Um, increasing the risk of infections, which is, again, anecdotally, we know that a lot of women get BV or Candida or thrush at the end of their menstrual cycle um, after using tampons. Um, And then another feature that we have on the naked tampon, um, we again, you'd think this is the standard in tampon manufacturing. Unfortunately, it's not. You'd be surprised to hear there's no mandatory tampon manufacturing step uh, sorry, tampon sterilization step in the manufacturing process. So yeah, I'll just let that sink in. <laughs> yeah,
1: They're like, yeah, just like make it, wrap it up, send it out, put it in vaginas. Like no need to sterilize it beforehand, even though we made you become a class two med device.
0: Yeah. in Well, uh, I'll, I'll get to that point as well. But in Europe, blasters um, and hand sanitizers are significantly more regulated than tampons in the u.s you only have to show the fda your microbiological results once and that's it that's what you need to get clearance for a class 2 medical device that's a tampon in the u.s wow you don't and obviously like if just because you have clean microbiology once doesn't mean that your production process is set up in a way where you're continuously going to have clean manufacture uh, clean microbiology results um, so we use a process called gamma ray sterilization, uh, which pierces through the packaging, it pierces through to the core of the tampon and it sterilizes the entire final product so that when you open a day tampon, it's completely free from pathogens, bacteria, and also from stuff and strip, which are the causes of toxic shock syndrome.
1: Seriously, these are all like, are your tampons really ex-
0: expensive because it has all these amazing things on it um they're more expensive than tampax but we're on par with other organic tampon brands well cool.
1: Well, you are so like my mind is blown you make me I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast that i'm on a birth control that lets me skip my period when i interview people like you i'm like maybe i want my period back because i want to use this <laughs> I'm like, wait, what am I doing? Why would I say that? But really, I'm like, I want to try it. Um, this, this is so awesome. Um, what are some of your, you know, future goals for the company? So you said, you know, obviously expansion, as there other product
0: lines or like, what are, what else do you envision? You've come so far already. Thank you. Um, well, we, we want to become gynecology as a service. So we want to build a platform that delivers on every layer of the female health experience in a really comprehensive way. And why we believe it's important to have one place where you go for all of your female health needs is we have this fundamental belief that for female health to be done right, you have to look at everything holistically. So Mm -hmm. if you change your contraception, that will impact your vaginal microbiome, which will then impact your um, ability to conceive, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, oh, interconnected links, that are frequently neglected because, you know, you have one provider for X, another provider for Y, and you never end up being in control of your own health record. You never own your own health record. You never interact with it in the way that you could if it was all stored in one platform where different elements of your female health journey could speak to each other and educate each other in order to produce the best possible outcome. hmm
1: Wow. Well, I hope that you can do that. (laughs) Like that would be super awesome because there are so many different elements moving around and yeah. Um, We have two last questions for you that our listeners really love and I'm so excited to get your input on it. The first one is we have a lot of aspiring femtech founders. So what is an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating?
0: Oh, what is not an area in female health? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that needs innovating. Um, if I had to choose one thing in particular, I'd say the vaginal microbiome is a really interesting area of immunology health that's very underexplored. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really interesting study that came out of Harvard Medical School. They monitored 800 mothers and their children, and they measured the health of their vaginal microbiome at the, before the pregnancy, at the start of the pregnancy, during the pregnancy, and then after birth. And they could show a clear correlation between a mother having a healthy vaginal microbiome and her pregnancy outcomes, so her risk to uh, preterm birth. But also, even more shockingly, there is a direct correlation between having a healthy vaginal microbiome and your child's motor skills and IQ levels. Yeah, every time I'm every time I think of the, that study, I have this like overwhelming thought, which is. We're so quick to be so self-congratulatory. You know, when something good happens in our lives, we achieve a goal, you know, we're successful and it all could be related to your mother's vaginal microbiome health, which which you had no way to control, no way to measure, absolutely no understanding of. Seeing the vaginal microbiome is a very interesting area of research.
1: That reminds me of our tagline, which is women's health is everyone's health. Yeah, I love that. You know, know. because it comes right from the vagina. Like, we are affecting everything. Do you know if uh, in that
0: study it was vaginal birth or they had C-sections as well? It was vaginal birth, yeah. Vaginal birth, yeah. That's when you do the um, transfer from the vaginal microbiome into the gut microbiome of the child Mm -hmm. through the nose and the mouth.
1: It's inoculation at its finest. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, crazy. All right. So, listeners, vaginal microbiome, we have definitely talked about it before on this show. Um, but here's just another case study about like, it's not just about women feeling good, smelling good, like feeling healthy. It's also about the IQ potentially in the motor skills of your babies. Like, really, really influential here, y'all. Really influential. Um, our last question is what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? funding <laughs> funding yeah tell me about your experience with funding like were people like weird well you know you said like advil exists why do they need this like but
0: what else did you kind of encounter people were weird and uncomfortable and there were the you know rare occasions when people were great and understanding but most of the time it was and it continues to be pretty strange
1: yeah yeah because you and have to that-
0: go full of like 50 60 year old men and you have to talk about the vaginal canal and menstrual blood leaks and they're just so uncomfortable like you can see how they can't wait to like hide under the table or like Mm. get you out the door so I know I have like 15 minutes before they start and start and throw me out so I know I have like 15 minutes really grab their attention
1: yeah yeah Well, we at Femtech Focus are hoping to change that game and uh, show these men the data and say, get over your uncomfortableness. uh, Because by the way, this is what your wife is dealing with, your daughters are dealing with, your sister is dealing with. Um, And by the way, look at the numbers. Like if you want to do your job well and like make a lot of money for either yourself and or your investors, like- just get over it and put money down because like the market sizes are huge. The fact that you said 35,000 women, is it 35,000 women or tampons have been sold? 35,000 women. Women in under a year during a mother effing pandemic, like that, that's like, that's the clubhouse of tampons, you know, like that's what that is, you know, like, Startups don't typically do that well, especially not this year in a pandemic. So, you know, most startups don't have a founder that's willing to pay for clinical trials on their credit card. You know, um, we are the hustlers of entrepreneurs. Um, We are the collaborators. We are the, we're the pioneers. We're we're building what women have needed for a really long time.
0: You know, another sad thing that I've noticed is there's now more and more female investors but i think because of how toxic the environment in venture capital often is they're worried that if they support a female founder or a female focused business they're going to be pigeonholed as like the girly investor that folk, that invests in girly things so i've actually had experiences where female investors have like resisted meeting me even more than male investors because you know the industry is positioned in such a way where they don't feel comfortable being positioned and and pigeonholed as someone that only focuses on femtech because they're a woman.
1: You know what this reminds me of is the scientific advisors I had in my early scientific career. If they were a woman over 50, they were usually a bitch honestly, like nine times out of 10. And I would ask my, you know, female colleagues, like in the lab, like, why are all the worst? Like, does science ruin us? And, you know, when we thought kind of thought about it, it was like, no, because at that, when they were grad students, they were the only woman in the program, you know, they were the only woman who got a faculty position. They were the only woman. And so it was like fight, 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 fight for it. Right. And they got this huge armor and like intensity. And this is like, I'm not trying to generalize for all women in science over 50, but that's been my experience. I feel like right now we have something stupid, like only 6% of VC decision makers are women. And so maybe they feel they're, they have this like intense, like, Oh, I have to prove like, there's no room for error. Like hopefully. And like, I mean, I really hope I get to snap my fi- fingers, but let's say in twenty years, like it'll start changing. But um, yeah, I, I totally feel you, though. I I don't. I personally don't even want to be that. Like angry feminist investor, right? And I even tell people, I'm like, hey, our podcast is not like angry. You know, we don't like say like men are the worst, like vaginas are the best, like women only. I'm like, no, 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 men come, 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 you know, like, and this is going to be informational and inspirational and data-driven, you know, because I'm like doing the angry thing doesn't
0: really inspire. Do you agree? Oh, 100%, 100%. But I can also understand where that anger is coming from. And Mm -hmm. Said it so well yourself. If you've you know constantly been attacked and slapped across the face, you are going to develop a really strong armor. And it's really sad that this is the way that it is right now for women in venture capital. It is really hard, and they do probably feel like they have to prove themselves more than any other man. And like maybe what I'd like to end on is like, let women fail. Like, let women fail in the same way that you let men fail. You know, so many of my conversations with other female founders, especially if they're Uh, of diverse backgrounds are often about, you know, I have all of this pressure to not fail because if I fail, then the people who have looked up to me, you know, like the younger generation or girls or other women of color or like other Eastern European women, they'll think to themselves, oh, well, she failed and she had raised all of this money and she was really smart and she was working really hard. So why should I even try? And that's so much pressure (laughs) to live and exist under, like just let women fail. (laughs)
1: Yes. And if you, listener, are someone who is a woman who failed, don't shy away from that. You know, like, Uh, my first startup was a DNA based dating app. And I've got to tell you, I've had some feelings last two weeks with Bumble going IPO, like, Oh, what if I did this differently? What if I did that differently? Everyone's posting like, she's such an inspiration. And I'm like, I'm such a failure, but it's like, no, she is such a, it's a unicorn quite literally in terms of like how rare it is. Like if I actually want to influence more women, I should be more open about why and how mine did not succeed because a lot more women will, he will relate to that, right? Rather than being IPO'd Whitney Wolf, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have one last fun question for you. Does your family still live in Bulgaria? Yes, everyone still lives in Bulgaria. And um what is their experience like opinion about your company? I love okay. to hear different cultural insights.
0: I don't think anyone in my family has like any clue about what I'm doing. It's just like such a weird concept because Venture capital, you know, it's big in London and like somewhat big in like Germany and France. Mm -hmm. But still, it's like a very small niche group of people that deal in venture capital and startups. So my family is just like, someone gave you money for your idea? What is this Ponzi scheme?
1: (laughs) And what did it feel about the, you're in the
0: menstruation hemp business. Yeah, no, they're they're really supportive. It was actually really funny because my mother, when I was growing up, was always like, don't you dare use tampons. Tampons are disgusting. And I was so afraid to tell her that I was working on a tampon company. And this is me like 22, 23 years old, right? Like not a baby. And I only told her that I was working on the company when I raised the first round.
1: And then wow. Was-
0: I was actually really surprised because now she's like super supportive. She uses the products. She always gives me feedback. Yeah. Isn't it crazy you get
1: into FemTech, you learn
0: about your mom's
1: vagina? Yeah. I now know about my mom's stuff, and I'm like, oh, maybe I didn't need to know that mom. But
0: yes, I support you. <laughs> like, we're Masculine, like tough guy brothers. And, <laughs> and now all of them are like, oh, well, how's it going with the tampons? We're so proud. Oh we're thinking that you you know, built this new product.
1: I love that. I love that. Valentina, you are so fun to chat with. I am so glad I finally got to meet you and interview you. You are an inspiration
0: and can't wait to see your product in the U.S. Thank you so much. It's been really wonderful being on your platform and I can't say thank you enough for hosting the conversations that you host and doing the work that you do.
1: Thank you for listening to my interview with Valentina Milanova the CEO and founder of Day. What a shocking and fascinating discussion around gender pain gap. Again, I would highly recommend subscribing to their newsletter to see the blogs and videos they make about the history of women's health and information on women's health today. We have a special offer for our listeners. If you're in Europe, then use promo code NEWBIE for five euros off your order. That's Newbie, N-E-W-B-I-E at yourdayday.com. If you're in the U.S., then you can go and sign up and be the first to find out when they'll be live here in the States. Alrighty, Fem fans, please join Femtech Focus's virtual community. We have nearly a 1,000 members now. you got to get on there. Subscribe to our newsletter at femtechfocus.org. And consider being a... Um, monthly donor. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. We have a lot of amazing events, including a monthly book club, Monday night listening parties, and bi-weekly workshops, helping founders build, launch, and succeed. So definitely go to our website, femtechfocus.org, and learn more, sign up, subscribe, subscribe, leave a review on the podcast, and until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.